0: Learning a language is a bit like hugging a cactus. There's all these like soft areas and then but you can't it's very terrible. You just can't feel comfortable with it.
1: Hey folks, welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Dow. Hi guys, Kirsten here and just before we start the show, I've got a little message for you just to let you know that this episode once again is made possible and sponsored by our good friends at Flash Sticks. You already know them as the foreign language post-it notes guys and they Really are awesome. If you haven't tried them yet, you really should. The posted notes are pre-printed with words to learn, and they're great to stick around the house to help you learn a new word every single day. They're available in eight languages: French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, Mandarin, German, English, and my personal favourite, British Sign Language. How cool is that? These are great for kids but adults as well. So really any age or anyone you're working with. Flash sticks are a lot of fun. They've also just launched an exciting new app called the Flash Academy. It's free to download on iPhones and iPads and Android. It includes lessons, games and even an object translator. I've tried this myself many, many times and you've heard about it in previous podcasts. So you guys know I really like this app. It's really nice. And as far as something that you can get for free, give it a go. It's really fun. The object translator is freakishly accurate. So check out flashsticks.com and you can get the app from flashacademy.com. And if you decide to make any purchase on the website, don't forget to use the code Kirsten10, that's spelled K-E-R-S-T-I-N-10, to get yourself some money off. That's really all I wanted to say and now we're on to an exciting episode, something really special, something we've been wanting to do for a a little while and Lindsay wasn't available to record for this podcast so I got myself some help. Now listen in and check out what is coming up. Hello everybody, we are in episode 46 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Thank you guys, as always, for joining us so much. And I've kind of got a surprise for you, because I'm here with the boys, <laughs> and not with Lindsay. Lindsay's off on a little adventure at the moment, and I have found myself too co-hosts for the episode or two guests for the episode. Um we have a very special topic for you and both of them actually very expert in this topic. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to these two guys and they are Gareth Popkins and Tristan Foy, a Brit and an American. And our topic for the episode is going to be Language learning at the very advanced level. So we're talking about, in the European framework, we're talking about C1, C2 kinds of levels. Or if you prefer thinking in the FSI scale, it's sort of around the, I think, three upwards. So probably your fours and your fives. This is really the area where you're not worrying about grammar so much anymore, maybe. Or maybe you are. And you're not worrying about, how do I get started? But you really have been going for a while. So, let's start with Gareth, I
2: suppose. Hey, Gareth. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, I'm Gareth Popkins, and um, I'm a learner of various languages and have been for many years, Um, and I write on that on howtogetfluent.com. Most recently, I have been trying to get my German going at an advanced level again, And also my Russian, both languages which I've been learning over many years, but which had been dormant for a few. So I've just taken a C1 level exam uh, in the last six months in in both languages.
1: Mm. Is there any language you're doing at the moment where you'd consider yourself at a lower level or are these sort of languages you've had... Going well, yes, I'm.
2: I'm also the other language I'm focusing on at the moment is Basque, where I am very much in the, the in the A's, so a beginning learner on the European framework.
1: Hmm. Wow. Hey, Tristan.
0: Hey, Kirsten. How are you doing?
1: Hey. So, do you want to tell us about yourself and your languages as well?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, I've also been studying languages for most of my. uh most well, certainly all of my adult life. Um, I started with French and ironically French is one of the languages I don't speak very well at all, but, uh, I, uh, my two most advanced languages are Spanish and German, but, uh, I've studied several other languages, including Esperanto and Norwegian and, uh, Japanese and a little bit of Lakota. Um, and, uh, Right now, I am mostly focusing on trying to get my uh, Spanish and my German to a uh, to a more advanced level, like what you were talking about, being advanced and continuing to work onwards with it. Um, but there's some other languages that I'm looking forward to getting started in like Dutch and uh, Swedish and uh, uh, i have a I guess I have a fondness for the Scandinavian languages, like including uh, Danish as well
1: mm. Well, I I think there's something, there's definitely already two things that I'm noticing that um, number one is that Tristan is sort of, you know, you're kind of that polyglot archetype of the person who is, well, if I'm thinking in Ellen Jovitz's terms, who gave a wonderful presentation at the polyglot gathering where we all had the pleasure of meeting up um she was talking about the polyglutton and sort of the way you're describing yourself Tristan it reminds me a bit of that it's sort of you're looking around and you're going oh I wonder which language you know which other language I could pick up is that something that you identify with do you find that new languages sort of keep popping up and looking very attractive uh
0: yes but not as much as it used to be I um it, it also depends on who my friends are, uh, and, and the people closest to me in my life. Like for instance, um, I never was interested in Afrikaans and then, uh, I was traveling through Bolivia one day or for a week actually. And I met up with some, a couple from, from Johannesburg and suddenly I became really interested in Afrikaans. I was sitting in this boat and they were, uh, as we were crossing Lake Titicaca and uh, I heard them speaking this strange language behind me and then I listened and they were speaking English and then I listened again and it was a strange language and I couldn't figure out which language I was hearing and they were switching between English and Afrikaans. So that was kind of an inspiration. But I think um, uh, more, m- most recently in my life I'm wanting to focus mostly on languages that have a more practical value for me. But, uh, yeah, the, that interest keeps, does keep popping up. That If I'm, like, mm. talking to someone and find out that they're good in Indonesian or something, then suddenly, even though I have no reason to learn Indonesian, it, it inspires me to learn it, even if I don't get to a really advanced level. I
2: think Tristan makes a good point there, that, you know, it's the it's need principle, isn't it? That uh, to get anywhere in a language beyond the initial enthusiasm, uh, there needs to be a reason. And the longer you keep going, of course, the more involved you're likely to be with the culture. It can become self-sustaining. But by definition, once you're at this level, you've been going for quite a while. Um, so there must be something more uh, which which is sort of pulling and pushing.
1: Now, there's something, yes, I mean, I think the need principle is something that we are going to look at in detail as well later when we talk about, kind of what what kind of makes you want to keep going and go to advanced. Um, one other thing that I've really noticed straight away from talking to you guys and from looking at how I learn languages too, is that each of us will, each of us kind of started with, I've been doing this for ages. I've been doing this for 10, 12, 15 years. So there's something, there's something I think that correlates or something that connects the amount of time that you have spent kind of interacting, interested, connecting with the same language, and the level of expertise that you have in that language, and the kind of higher levels that you reach, which sounds very like, duh, (laughs) now that I say it. um, But at the same time, a lot of people, a lot of people don't make that connection when they start, do they?
2: No, I mean, there's so much on the internet about, you know, making progress fast with languages. And that's very important at the beginning, because you do want to feel that you've got some some real gains. And that's a great thing at the initial level. But uh, the fact is, you know, what we're talking about is moving towards mastery. And mastering anything is is a very deep process, even if you are able to accelerate it. If you don't have the deep roots there, you know, you're not going to, the tree is not going to be firmly Uh, held in the ground as such so Mm -hmm. the time factor almost becomes irrelevant because you know if you look at the the amount of time you're supposed to study you know according to the figures for c1 on the european scale they say 700 to 900 hours but i mean who's counting by that stage you know we've been doing it for years sometimes intensively sometimes not so intensively but we're keeping going we're building it into the into the the warp and weft of our life
1: Yes, I. For me, it's for me, it's the same, and I would definitely agree with that. Every time I see the, every time I see that number of hours, I just shrug and think, "Who cares, really?" Yeah. What, what do you make of that, Tristan?
0: Um, I also haven't really given it a whole lot of thought because, um, well, <sighs> you can find. I forget some of the websites, but it's not difficult to find. How many hours it takes to learn a language and let's say, um, let's say for, and I'm just pulling numbers out of the air here, but let's say that it takes like maybe 400 uh, hours to get good in, or let's say it takes 200 hours to get good in Spanish and uh, 400 hours to get good in German and then like 800 to get good in Turkish or something. And, uh, I'm, and I'm going off of hours that I've seen like on, you know, the government websites that have language courses like the Foreign Service Institute, where you can get a bunch of their resources for free. Um, and what's confused me about things like that is, um, and it ties back into the need principle that uh, came up earlier, is Spanish took me forever to learn. And I never was really that interested in the language. I learned it because I had to need it. Uh, I I learned it because I did need it. Um, And also, I... uh, uh, And the reason I keep getting good at it is because I use it every day for my work. But it's never been a real passion of mine. German, on the other hand, is like, even though I don't have a drop of German blood in me, I don't have any German family, it's like it speaks right to my soul. So it felt like to me that German would take far less time to learn than it would Spanish because not only was I had a need for both languages because I was living in Mexico and then I was living in Germany, but my passion and my interest was so much deeper with one language versus the other. Um so I don't really take the hours into account. I guess they're a good guideline, but it's like, are, how badly do you need this language and how badly do you want it? And I think that accounts for so much as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's a really interesting point about... I think about the hours and the individual, and many of us, I think, will look at that, will look at something like the Foreign Services Institute's website, and it tells you, you know, this language is quicker, this language is slower, and we're always looking, you know, I think definitely Gareth and I, I'm sure Tristan you as well, we get asked a lot, like, which language is easier, which language should I learn, Um, and... That level of... Th- that ease or not ease. It's always something that doesn't sit very comfortably
0: with me. Now... Well, I'm going to add another point to that as well real quick. Um, the... Uh, it also... I don't know where they get the hours. I, I, so I guess it means average person. Um, or maybe a first-time learner. But... it People who get more advanced in language skills. It still takes them a long time. But it seems like it takes less time. Because they know how to learn a language. Um, or... And or, they have their process down very well, so it's all—it's um, far more streamlined than someone who is, you know, starting out in a class or something. I guess a, an experienced language learner kind of knows what they need to know, um, or kind of knows what they need to learn, is what I mean. And also, it's easier to learn a language if you already have a language learning experience because you have uh, uh, ties in the back, and you have already these connections in your. Let's say, for example, you're learning uh, Danish and you speak Swedish or, or you're learning Danish and you speak German, you're going to have a huge leg up because there's a lot of vocabulary similarities. So that's going to cut down on your time as well.
1: I think Tristan has made a huge point, And that is something that as an advanced learner that we have certainly I think a lot of us have kind of become familiar with that there is a level of um, language skill and learning skill and just knowing our process that is just higher every single time you kind of attempt a new language every time you take a language over a certain threshold
2: and yes and, and, and when you're beginning when you're beginning as well almost more so um uh, because that's when you're you know in some ways, you you need you need those skills. Although when you're at a high level, of course, as well, it's maybe a different set of skills. Um, but uh, you know, if we're going to focus on, on the high level, then I would say it's almost it's more as well than uh, than the need principle. Because if you're living in a country, and this was my experience, I lived in Germany for several years. I lived in Russia. What can happen is that you plateau out at a sort of upper intermediate level where you have enough language to fill in your tax returns, to have your social life um, t- to some extent on the job, depending on how you know much language you actually have to use at work. But at the C level and for the C level exams as well, uh, you have to be going much beyond that too.
1: Mm-hmm. So what's been your experience? Because you've recently taken C1 in German. and That's
2: right, yeah. There's
1: two questions I have about that. Number one, I mean, Tristan earlier mentioned 800 hours to get good in Turkish, this many hours to get good in this. And there is, you know, I mean, what the Foreign Service Institute focuses on is this sort of functionally native, which I guess yes. goes into the seas as well. Yes. So question number one is what does advanced mean to you? And what what kind of draws you to the the feeling of wanting to improve?
2: Yes, I mean, I think there is a good distinction between fluency and mastery. Fluency basically meaning you can do more or less everything that you need to do, even if sometimes it's not very elegant, you still make quite a few mistakes, and that might be, say, the B2 level. Um, And mastery is where you really are approaching uh, a native-like fluency, which doesn't mean uh, that you're going to be mistaken for a native. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. And there are sometimes going to be words that you don't know, but you're able to t- to to communicate using um, and understand across the skill range, uh, reading, writing, listening, and speaking, uh, and to hold your own um, with uh, with the, with the natives. So it's this moving from from fluency where you may plateau, moving to a higher level of mastery. I think which is. Um, which is the distinction. And that does involve you really stretching, stretching yourself and getting out of your comfort zone, the plateau that you were living in, and starting to talk about and write about a very, very wide range of, uh, of different topics.
1: Mm, and what is it that makes you want to do that, though? Because yeah, one, yes. one might argue that if you can manage in a language, why do you need to, get, why do you need to advance?
2: yes uh you you could say that but uh at the same time obviously the the deeper you get uh you know the uh the more the greater your facility in the language uh that means you can you 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 are still um in a way becoming more uh you know you are seeing more and more fine differences you're able to use the language ever more effectively Uh, And it is, I find, an incredibly satisfying thing. Uh, Some may need it for their job. That's not my case. But if you're in a job where you have to write the language then clearly, you know, the all uh, your, um, you know, fine interpretations, fine distinctions are going to be important. Then uh, there could also be, be practical reasons. But for me personally, it's it's the satisfaction of taking it further, just to use, you know, the old mountain climbing analogy that, you know, the higher up you get, the, uh, the more of a thrill it is and the greater the view.
1: mm mm-hmm. And do you feel that, say in German, now you've taken C1, and you passed the C1 exam. Do you feel like you're done?
2: No, I don't. Not at all. Um, uh, you know, it, it's always in a way, and this is one of the psychological things at the high levels. I think that you know, the more you know, the more you realise that you don't know. Uh, and one of the things with ref- working in a reflective way at this level is that you're constantly becoming aware of of, of scope for improvement. So uh, you, you're enjoying the journey. Um, it, it, obviously, it's okay to to stop uh, or to stop for a breather whenever you feel like it, uh, if you're uh, not under immediate pressure to get better. Uh, but for me, no, I would like to go on at some point and do and do the C2 exam and to keep going. Uh, my my advanced languages are, are always, you know, so far as I can see, going to be a part of my life, and there are always going to be cultural things and relationships and so on. Uh, and interest through those languages which uh, which I'm therefore going to want to cultivate
1: okay okay now Tristan obviously there's something that there's something that made me think of you as well in that context which was that um, I have been I've been tutoring you for a little while sort of a few weeks been we've been kind of speaking German and yeah. My first impression was, oh my god! I've never had a student this advanced. This is awesome. He's great. Oh, it's so much fun. You. Um, you're <laughs> welcome. It's it really, you know, it's from a tutor's perspective, um, and I think I want to get get into tutoring a little bit more later as well. Um, it's it's a really fun experience. It's really enjoyable to work with somebody this advanced, but it is also very noticeable. Kind of what Gareth was saying, which is that, yeah, you're advanced, but do you feel as advanced?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, because um, one, one thing Gareth said uh, is exactly true. The, the more you learn, and I don't know why this works, I don't have any answers about this either, but the more you learn... Particularly about languages, I I imagine it's true for other skills as well. Languages have been my main—I have a a lot of interests, but languages have been my main uh, focus in life, and um, as far as skills go. And so, it's definitely true in that area: is that the more you learn, the more you realize. I really, there isn't like one book that you can finish and be like, "Okay, now I know." Now I'm like the true expert, and like, no, you. You just know a lot more and you also know exactly uh, where – you don't know exactly where your gaps are. But you certainly feel that you have so much more left here. You have, the journey is so much further than you thought. I uh, I feel like for me, um, one of the things that – one of the best pieces of language learning advice I got was – I. I this is back when I was actually learning German. I kept telling a, a, another student I was like, who's advanced in other languages. I kept telling him, "Well, I want to get fluent," and he said, "Don't worry about getting fluent. Just worry about getting better." And even though it's kind of vague sounding, um, it made a big impression on me because it kind of showed me that like fluency is this really we I mean, polyglots talk about fluency and you hear it in like books like Get Fluent and and uh, Everyday Fluency and it's really a bunch of nonsense, if you want my opinion. I Because fluency is such a vague term that everyone has – no one really has a, a nailed-down definition of what it is. Some people say it's being able to speak fluidly without pausing. To me, that's not fluency. It's fluency for maybe a sentence, but that doesn't mean you're going to be fluent in Spanish. If you can say a few um, phrasebook phrases very fluently, that doesn't – you still can't really use the language to a very – Proficient level—if you just know a few sentences fluently—so to me, that's kind of a misnomer. Um, I love that. What's that?
1: I love that saying that you know, don't worry about getting fluent; worry about getting better because you you put out a goal. And I think that's sort of the the language learners and you know, polyglot circles. You know, you're talking about this, but I think generally in the world, we are we want to define the world around us as much as we can, especially adult language learners, right? So you're always looking for a way of defining what, what you're looking at. And I think with language, it's like you're you're riding this beastly dragon and you just kind of go, well, if only I could do this, then I can get off.
0: Yeah, it's learning a language. It, it's like that. It is like that. To me, learning a language, I, to me, languages have souls and personalities, very much living things and learning a language is kind of like getting to know a person like you're never really done getting to know a person you just get comfortable with the person and you can become very close to the person um, but you're never there's always going to be more to learn about them in so many different contexts um, and a language is like that uh, and I don't think that language learners need to get advanced I think a lot of them will be satisfied in their life with getting to what we know as the b one b 2 level. Um, I think the people who like Gareth and me and and a few others, uh, who I've met in the polyglot circles, um, the people who really want to get to the C1, C2 level, who, uh, aren't doing it because they need it for a job. Like for example, um, New Garrett's living in England, and he, he wants to get to C2 level in German. He doesn't really need it necessarily because of his uh, job, I assume. Maybe you have a lot of Germans in your no, no I, no, I don't. Yeah. It's a rare breed that wants to... They're kind of driven to pushing themselves. It's like um like an extreme athlete, I think. who um, You don't really need to do that, but it's just something inside of you. you. You develop it or you don't. And if you don't develop it, that's fine, too. Um, It doesn't mean it. It just means that you have different goals or priorities in life. And that's absolutely okay.
1: Mm. Gareth, what do you make of the extreme athlete analogy?
2: Uh, Well, I think I think there is something in that, actually, that, uh, you know, uh, you you, once you're beyond the B2 level, you're starting to learn things that you probably are not going to need uh, and necessarily uh, or that to, to, to get by. You know, if you're working as a journalist or uh, 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 something like that, then you're going to write in the language, or as a lawyer using the language. That's that's a different thing. But uh, generally, it's yes, it is beyond what you actually what you actually functionally perhaps are going to need. One thing, just to go back to the definition of fluency, I wanted to say was you know fluency. You can also think of it in terms of, you know, you can be fluent at different levels. Uh, so you may be fluent uh, in, uh, you know, going to buy the newspaper or a loaf of bread in the morning. You can do that fluently. You can be fluent discussing uh, nuclear physics. So it may help to look at fluency as um, you always, fo- you know, in the in a subjective way uh, in, in the context of, of the task.
1: Mm. There's something... There's something about this desire to keep going that yeah. I I connect to. I think I've probably gone beyond B levels, obviously in English, you know, which was it was a desire that was about identity for me. It was about I really i have always dreamed of being bilingual. And, you know, like now I'm bilingual. Yay. <laughs> so, you know, English definitely is highly advanced. My French also. Um, I just kept pushing, kept going with it, kept going with it. And something I noticed about being at the level, sort of when you really start going beyond the bees, to me, <laughs> beyond the bees, to me, it's about. It isn't about what can you do with your language, what are your technical skills anymore. And I wonder how you, how you guys connect to that. It's about learning more about that specific society. Many people would say culture, the norms in that place. And really kind of, that is when you start going deep and learning about the place as opposed because you've got your tool set now, and this is now where it becomes about using the tools. I, I,
0: th- I think that that's, um, I think that's a, a good way of putting it. Um, nice thing about one of the things about when getting to the C2, C1, C2 levels, um, the way that I imagine it is, um, uh, it's when you're like learning a lot of idioms, for example. I mean, and jar- technical jargon about your specific areas. And to me, it's about like you have your house built, and now you're decorating it. Like it's functional, you can live in it. Um, you can have people over. It's certainly uh, it's certainly a fine building the way it already is, but now you can truly like uh, add the finer touches to it and make it into um, the place where you always wanted to live. That, that's the analogy I sometimes use.
2: I'd, I'd agree with that. That analogy is certainly, um, certainly a good one. But what you said about learning uh, grammar, Kirsten, uh, you know, I think uh, I'd want to add to that, that uh, I think when you get to sort of the middle B levels, you've, you've covered all the structures in the language. You're not going to come across anything new, but I certainly feel that there, I'm very much still practicing getting things right. Because um, what is demanded at the higher levels is more and more accuracy in using all those more advanced structures. And some of the basic structures, which, uh, you know, sometimes you can have fossilised mistakes uh, which have continued. Uh, for me in German, for example, uh, the genders, getting the genders of the, the nouns correct and some of the endings is is an ongoing fissure which I have to keep working at. So, you know, there's just you're getting to a higher and higher standard uh, in the grammar that you already know and have known as the framework of the house uh, since somewhere in the in the bees. Uh, but in terms of cultural knowledge, yes, and you can't, you know, at the higher levels, you can't understand a lot in in the in the language without knowing the culture, um, without knowing. Um, the politics of the country, the structures, the society which is being described and its history.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, and I'm finding with with Tristan when tutoring at the higher level is that I'm looking for different ways of of engaging and I'm looking for, I very quickly noticed, and I say this to, to Tristan a lot, which is sort of this, it's it's kind of tough to, from a tutor's perspective, to say this to somebody who is very advanced. To sort of say, "Well, there isn't anything really new that I can teach you." Like, what you you know, like I'm not going to be able to. I'm I'm not going to be. I just don't need to explain, for example, the passive voice to him, in that sense, because cause Tristan knows the passive voice and and can use it. So it's just a case of every now and then pay you know pinpointing where it's where it's maybe kind of slipped in in the slightly wrong way and, and paying a lot more attention um, that's the grammatical point of view so in in classes as a tutor and certainly when I think of my own um, language progress in French and in English it it became so much more about, like what you're saying, about getting to know the country or getting to know the places where those languages are used. My French tuition has always focused on France, I guess, because I'm uh, I'm from so near France. But I, you know, I've, I there was also a little bit of talking about French Africa, French speaking Africa, or French speaking Canada, which just automatically expands your world. Now about grammar. I'll ask both of you guys, how do you feel about this sort of sense of, you know, like like Gareth was talking about, fossilized mistakes, higher accuracy? What what do you think about an internal sense of progress? What gives you a sense that, yeah, no, I'm getting better at this, I'm progressing, but you can't do something as easy as, oh, okay, I've read a page about the passive tense now, well,
0: voice of um, voice. Well, <laughs> it certainly takes more than reading a page once. Um, it... uh one thing, for example, in Spanish that I have continuously struggled with uh, is uh, the subjunctive. And I think that's kind of been the bane of existence for a lot of English speakers who learn Spanish is, is the subjunctive. It's a very, it's kind of an abstract, I don't know how very, it's so abstract, but it is, yeah. it is an abstract uh, concept for a lot of English speakers when they are using Spanish. Um, French
1: has it too, and I hate it in French too.
0: Yeah, I, like I said, I haven't got very advanced in French. I've heard that the subjunctive is clear in, in French, but uh, uh, I, that has yet to be seen. <laughs> um, I uh, I know, knowing that I have an area that I'm weak in, because having an area that you're weak in doesn't make you in a, a not an advanced speaker. To me, an advanced speaker is more how accurately can you express yourself um, grammar kind of takes a second it's definitely important but it, it kind of takes a back seat a little bit it's more like can you express yourself idiomatically um, but um, and, and in my opinion in, in, in the context that I'm speaking right now but uh, knowing that I have areas of weakness, in, in this case uh, the subjunctive in Spanish uh, I would focus on studying that and then practicing it more and more and then checking with my, my courses or with native speakers if I can um, uh, and, and, seeing how I'm progressing there. It's, I think for me learning a language, there's a lot of, uh, kind of feeling in the dark, you know, because you can develop this, I think a fossilized mistake is, uh, very common in, uh it's easy for those to become very natural feeling. And so even when you're at an advanced level and, and if I'm studying the subjunctive, I, 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 there's a concern that I might overcorrect and use it too much. And then that becomes fossilized. So, um, it's just kind of a, <laughs> I don't know if I really have a good answer for your question. Um, but, uh, it's three, something that I just do trial and error just like everything else.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. So Gareth, do you have something to say about the the kind of sense of advancement or frustration?
2: Yes, there are two things. One is general and it's to do with vocabulary, grammar and all the skills. It's, you know, the image of you're moving out from a point. So it's like the outside of of a circle. So as you get better, the circle is getting larger and larger. So you're advancing more over more and more territory. So um, uh, in all directions and uh so the feeling of progress can actually be much much less um because you are adding you know it's marginal diminishing marginal marginal returns if you like so you need to be very aware of that and to deal with that in your own motivation and your own expectation uh so that you are you know it's 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 um Something you, you, you have you have to be aware of in terms of how you tackle gr- grammar. I am a great advocate of, and I have used uh, for my C1 exam preparation textbooks. If you're studying um, a, a language where there where the, the market you know where there are materials out there, there's a demand. Uh, You can use still uh, textbooks. You can find them in German for C1 and C2. In Russian, at least, for the C1 level, there are materials. Uh, French, of course, there's a lot of stuff as well in other languages. You know, working through the textbook, it will be taking you over the most difficult advanced grammar points. And I also combine that, and I also try and get one always which has exercises which you can correct yourself with the answers in. Uh, sometimes these are sold as separate books and I would have a standard work of reference grammar something like Hammer's Grammar for German in English or the uh, Wade, the Wade uh, Russian Grammar uh, which also have both of those have um, separately uh, sold uh, books of exercises with answers so that you can test mm-hmm. yourself because constant testing uh, is important uh, it's not as you be saying just ticking off ticking off the page. And then the thing that really flusters you out and uh, um, two things in the Russian exam, I've just done C1 level. Uh, there is a multi-choice grammar section. It's a fifth of the, the marks. Uh, it was an hour, uh, 90 minutes, I think, with 100 questions. So you have to move pretty fast. So you need to, you know, you need to know the grammar, but also writing. Working with a teacher, having them correct your writing, uh, you will see mit- mistakes starting to repeat themselves, patterns of weakness there, things that you need to focus on. So that's one way that you can you can work with a teacher.
1: Mm-hmm. I like the... I, like, I mean, you mentioned a few times that you aim for exams. So I guess for you, this is your personal motivational method, right? So it's the idea yeah. of, I'm quite advanced... I don't, you know, I don't, can't just tick off grammar topics anymore. I can't just keep doing the same thing. I want to, I want to, you know, like, like I said, sort of ride the dragon to a certain point in a <laughs> way. Um, and exams make a really good, make a really good point there. And I think they really get you somewhere. Now, Tristan, for you, am I right in saying it was more travel related it was more about specific you know less less maybe about the goal but the advanced levels in language sort of came to you a sense of achievement came to you through travel
0: yeah that's absolutely right to this to date I've never had to take a a a language uh, advancement test as related to a job or something when I got out of the Peace Corps I was in the Peace Corps I was in Peru for two years um and when I got out of that they they you go in with a, a placement test and you come out with a placement test to see exactly just what kind of progress you made in Spanish uh, or whatever language but in this case spanish um, and but other than that I've never had to take i um, uh, I've never had to sit for an exam uh, it is it, for me it was travel related i my goals were all more internal and be like do I pass myself off as a native speaker or something uh, approximating that uh, in terms of accent and so forth. And we haven't even talked about accent in this yet because I think a lot of beginner speakers thinking that you're not advanced. Like if you have a good accent, then you're advanced. And that's really not true. Um, An accent's very nice, but it's like uh, it's not necessary to be a, a, a native-like speaker. Mm -hmm. In terms of Mm -hmm. language knowledge, in terms of fooling people, you need an accent, I suppose. But in terms of having a native-like grasp of language, you don't. Um, So for a long time, I focused on my accent and everything. (laughs) And then, like, well, why why am I still not, you know, comfortable in this language? Um, I I, I remember the time when I was in Peru, actually, and I was like, I'm done with Spanish. This is as advanced as I ever want to get. And I don't ever want to study another sentence of Spanish. I just want to use the information that I have because I don't consider myself ever, I don't think I'll ever need it for anything other than what I, you know, other than conversation. And, and then lo and behold, I, I find a job as a translator and interpreter in Spanish. I'm like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and even at that high level, there's always things to learn because it's a technical field. I translate a technical field. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just stuff you don't learn every day. Uh, So you have to get advanced in a very specific area that you might never actually use in conversation.
1: Yeah, I can echo that as as an English learner that, you know, there was certainly the point where, say, I moved to the UK and I'm always thinking of this as in terms of exams and the limitations of an exam. I moved to the UK in 2003, having taken IELTS, the, you know, the English version of, say, any kind of exam um, having passed that at level 9 which is the highest level you can get um, for all intents and purposes oh you're a native speaker moving to northern England couldn't understand a word anybody said around me because of dialects because of accents because I wasn't familiar with the speed and the rhythm and I hadn't had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in the country so I think I I love I love kind of the idea of almost a combined Gareth Tristan approach here, which mm. is to set your goals as exams, but also travel goals. So you kind of have that mix of the real life. And well, I certainly—I
0: mean, don't get me wrong. I certainly would like to to take some of these exams if for anything, just to see exactly where I sit, because I'm not very clear on where I am at my level. Like you mentioned earlier, you thought in German I was a—I don't think you mentioned this in the podcast, but you mentioned to me privately that you thought I was at a C1 level, um,
1: ish. Okay. Don't quote okay. <laughs> well,
0: and, and, and what I was about to say was, I don't feel like I'm quite at a C1, a C1 yet. I feel like I have a, a, quite a bit of ground to cover before I get to that. Um, so I uh, 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 I would like to take some exams to evaluate exactly where I am. But for me, it was always more like, do I feel comfortable in the language? And I've never felt completely comfortable in any language other than English, in either Spanish or German or any of the other languages that I've studied, but those being the ones that I get to the most, uh, the ones that I'm at the the highest levels at. Um, so for me, it was always like, do I feel like I can express myself natively? And until I get to there, that that that's where it's probably going to keep pushing me. Uh, and even then, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that I'll ever get completely comfortable where I will just want to Say okay, I, I'm done studying. I know everything there is to know because that's that's never ever going to happen in any language, including your native language.
1: Okay. Oh, Gareth, go ahead.
2: Yes. No. No. I um. I just wanted to say yes. We've already said you know as regards exams, uh, uh, you can't tick off and say now I'm finally fluent, and that is true also with the highest exams, as you yourself then found when you when you came over to England. So you have to remember what the exams can be. They are, as Tristan was indicating, and this is why I like them in a way, they do give you a really objective yardstick. Sometimes it's a bit too objective, but sometimes we need to have pointed out that we're maybe not quite as good as we thought we were in some areas. Um, But even once you've passed them, uh, your learning never ends, really, and you're constantly, uh, you know, There is scope constantly for you to take your abilities forward, just as Tristan said. There is in your own language.
1: Mm -hmm. So, if I can get to kind of a practical question, really. I mean, we've already mentioned Gareth. You gave some really good tips here as well with the textbooks and the reference grammars. Obviously, Tristan has had the amazing advantage of living in Peru, which gives you, I think, gives you a. A different push with Spanish, but what I found really interesting was, especially the point about accent and realizing that no, this isn't just one thing. So my main, my main kind of point in all this is to sort of say you've got to have a holistic linguistic improvement, right? So you you can't advance unless you advance in listening, speaking, reading, writing, accent, vocabulary, grammar. You know, it all has to hang together. But how do you guys go about that?
0: Um, well, I was just, I was actually, I was earlier in the podcast, I was just kind of thinking about that. Um, I think I'll let Gareth answer this one first and then I'll get back to
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, I am, you know, I have used textbooks, uh, to provide a framework across the four skills and I work through those books. I use a teacher, I Block book in advance. Sessions often only half an hour with the teacher. I'm very proactive in making sure the teacher knows what I want. You've got to take, you know, responsibility for as you always stress, Kirsten, your own your own learning. Uh, working with the teacher to move you through the book. I often book the lessons early in the morning so that you know before, I've got it under my belt before before the day gets in the way. Uh, and uh, I'm practicing a lot and trying to do so. As interactively as possible so obviously with the the production skills of writing and speaking that's inevitably active but also with reading and listening underlining words going back to them trying to retell my tutor what I've been reading about for example similarly with listening maybe jotting down notes trying to retell a report uh On the radio, so that it is not just passive for the reading and the listening, and a whole a whole lot of of it all you know, so you're talking about um many many hours over many, many months, stretching sometimes into years. Of working consciously, taking your game apart too, as a you know a tennis star would do, they go back and they learn things like their serve or whatever again from scratch, um, just to check that everything's running smoothly. And that's something else you can do with a tutor, going back sometimes to first principles with vocabulary, uh, working on, you know, exposing yourself to new areas, trying to describe things you wouldn't normally need to talk about. You know, the example I always use is, you know, how do you saddle a horse? You know, something I wouldn't normally have to do, but I can talk about it in English. It, it be goes with being a native speaker. Do you know all the vocabulary for that? In, or, or how do you, you know, how is an egg produced, you know, right from the chicken? There are many things you can describe. How is a rocket sent to the moon? Challenge yourself. Go to Wikipedia articles f- mm-hmm. for some of the vocabulary. Look at collocations. So we sit an exam in English. We don't make an exam. And there are set phrases in in languages. You can, you know, notice these, underline them, repeat them, learn in chunks. Mm-hmm. So
1: there's a lot, there's a lot in there about that idea of, you know, like you taking responsibility, you looking around and, you know, really guiding it by yourself. And I'm reminded of uh, one of my students who is, he he's very kind of has his system, has his textbook set up. And what we do in classes is basically just, just go through whatever he has covered already in his textbook where he says, oh, OK, let's have a conversation about this specific thing. And I have every now and then as a tutor as you as you want to do you know you kind of bringing in and you say hey let's try something you know let's take it off the beaten track let's you know let's make it a little bit more you know i don't want you to get tired of the textbook and that was one person where i really had to learn that sticking with the textbook is very stubbornly is can work for a person right so this is pretty much his main source beyond perhaps listening to the news or watching you know, watching some videos, is kind of his main source. That he studies with, but it's it's progress, right? Because they're built to progress you.
2: Yes, yes. I wasn't I wasn't advocating advocating just using the textbook. I mean, mm. the key is I think a key another key word, is interleaving. So that you're doing material that you've already covered, and that might correspond with you know your student wanting to go over something he's already covered in the textbook, and then you move on to something new which you've brought in. So you're going you're going um, returning. And you're doing several things at once and 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 weaving weaving them together, but you know at c one level that that is that is still going to work, but certainly at c two level you can't uh you know and even at c one we've talked about the cultural contexts that you that you need by the time you get to c two level of course uh you you do in certain exams the Goethe exam for german is one uh, there's scope there to you know look at a novel and so on uh, you are at that level going to be and you're going to be at C1 level as well involved in many other things in the language beyond just your textbook if you want to if you want to do well
1: mm yeah i mean tristan and i something that we've started working on is sort of the idea of um explaining the rules of a specific game um and then also i think rephrasing is is a great exercise rephrasing putting something in your own words and just you know describing what you've covered before?
2: Yes, I mean that's one of the exercises in the Russian exams that I've done. Actually, the B two mm-hmm. exam I did, and I'm just at the moment I've just done the C one, waiting for the results. Uh, one of the exercises in the in the oral actually is that you in the speaking exam uh, they read a sentence out to you, and you have to tell it say it back to them without using any of the same words.
1: Hmm, fascinating stuff. So, Tristan, how do you feel about what? What do you think? about the idea of in-country learning kind of pushing you always further and advancing you always further. I mean, Gareth, obviously you've lived as well in in Russia, in Germany, and me as somebody who's living in the UK. What is it, do you guys think, about in-country learning? Because I think it's sort of that thing that many language learners... I mean, we've already dismantled fluency and I think we can almost... Not entirely, but we can sort of almost dismantle this as the next thing and say, well, in-country learning, it requires a lot of effort and it requires something from you. So what is it that it, that it requires?
0: Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, well, it requires I, – I guess I'll just try to sum up my, my stories of what happened there is when I went to Mexico – Uh, I went, my, my travel experiences, I've lived in Mexico, Germany, um, Peru, the Czech Republic, uh, in that order. And I also stayed a month in France. Um, so when I went to Mexico, I was 17 and I had studied high school Spanish and middle school Spanish that most American uh, students are required to take. You don't get very advanced in those at all. But it gives you a foundation. In my case, however, the foundation was very small. I think I went to Mexico with probably a vocabulary of maybe a hundred words or so. And uh, I went with an understanding of like the regular verb conjugations and a few irregular ones, like ir, which is to go, and hacer, which is to do or to make. Um, those are irregular verbs, but they're very common, so they, they teach those first. Um, soy, uh, ser, estar, the the two verbs to be for to be. Um, so when I went to Mexico, I wanted to go, I had this idea that I'd go cold and just learn the language by absorbing it, like an adventure or something, going into a, you know, a, a, a new, like a native tribe type of, type of thing. Uh, I don't recommend that. <laughs> it worked for me because, <clears throat> excuse me again, it worked for me because I. The families that I lived with were, uh, no one spoke English. There was no English spoken once I got uh, in New Mexico. Uh, There was a couple of people in my classes who, one guy spoke English as well as a native speaker because he had lived in England for three years. His his father did a master's program there and moved the whole family there. Uh, He even had a British accent and everything. It was very very charming. But uh, other than him and another guy who spoke okay English, I was completely on my own. Uh, and it was very lonely, so I don't think that's a very good way to learn. It did work for me because I was lucky because I figured out my learning method, but it could have gone so much faster if you study the language beforehand. Uh, when I went to Peru, uh, my Spanish continued to get better because I was in the culture again, a uh, Spanish speaking culture. But I was so thankful that I already had an understanding of the language because that made life go so much easier, you could focus on the, the the cultural things a lot more quickly than just trying to figure out how to communicate that said to people who are hearing this and they're getting ready to study abroad and they don't feel comfortable in their language human beings are built to communicate and you will find a way to communicate Um, even with uh, very minimal language skills I was able to express almost everything I needed just through gestures and stuff and I couldn't express it nuanced or in depth but People find a way to communicate. That's been my experience. Um, So I wouldn't worry about that while you're learning the language. And you will, if you continue to work at it, you will eventually learn the language. Uh, Mm. I think, though, that coming back to your other question, like how to learn, um, like when I was in Germany, for example, and I I had already been teaching myself German, so I went there with an understanding of the language, but I couldn't speak. I could read it and write it uh, to a point, but I definitely wasn't fluent in that either. Uh, and learning a language is a bit like hugging a cactus. There's all these, like, soft areas, and then, but you can't, it's very terrible. You just can't feel comfortable with it. Is it, The closer you get to it, the more it hurts, because you're like, oh, I thought I had this down, and then it sticks me again in an area I wasn't even expecting it to stick me at, and I just don't feel like I'm ever going to, I'm <laughs> never going to figure my, my way around this. Um that's, that's exactly, German's like a cactus to me, <laughs> anyways. Um, I, uh... So that was a different experience where I, when I went to Mexico, I learned the language and got very conversational, but didn't know jack about the grammar. Whereas with German, I knew the grammar pretty well, but I couldn't speak at all. I studied the grammar and it took going to Germany and being just immersed in the culture to, to actually learn the language. And then while I was there, I was living in a student dorm filled with other English speakers and in my case, Russian speakers as well. I, you have to go out and make an effort to go and uh, find the native speakers and interact with them. Because it's very easy to fall into what's known as the expat bubble. Uh, and that's what happened in the Czech Republic, which I never even learned very much Czech. Uh, but uh, in German, uh, you had to seek it out. Uh, you, you had to get out and become more of a, an extroverted type of person, at least for that point. To The language isn't going to come to you. You have to open the doors. You have to... Um, Put yourself in the situations where you're going to use it. Uh, as far as learning goes, just to kind of sum up briefly what Garrett said. I've never really used a tutor. You're, you're the first tutor I've had, I guess, for any language. Um, I prefer teaching myself for the beginning parts. I like to get the. Um, I like the idea of doing it on my own, at least at first. Uh, and I use uh, I kind of swear by the teach yourself courses. Those are they cover a lot of languages and they cover a lot of a lot of basic ground they have CDs that come with them, which if you're gonna get a language course, get CDs or some kind of audio unless you're learning like Latin or something. Um I think those work as a foundation. And then after that, uh focusing on what interests you and finding material in that I like to read. So I'll go to the Wikipedia articles or I'll go and I'll find novels that are originally written in English that I've read, or that I've already read in like English translations of like um, the. I like the Dan Brown books. They're not very; they're definitely not deep literature, so they're very easy to read. There's a lot of dialogue in them, and when you're learning a language, you're going to want to learn how people talk. Um, I find reading mm. a lot easier than actually watching movies because reading you can go at your own pace. You can keep going back and forth over. It. Um, And you're automatically in the story, whereas movies, there's dialect and accent, um, there's speaking pace and everything. Those are good for you, and you need to learn those. But um, reading, I think, is a lot more user-friendly in the beginning, and even at advanced levels, because it helps with vocabulary. So,
1: a question for you, Tristan is, and and I guess for you as well, Gareth, is we've all now mentioned working with tutors and working with, I mean, tutors, yes, because you you guys are independent learners and there isn't really the chance to perhaps go as far as you can. As I, if I think back to both my English and my French, um, I kind of stuck in the the institutional system. So French was what I did at university and I pushed, you know, I, I was ever pushed further, further, further. Um, by going to university in that language now and I know for Tristan it was kind of a similar thing but I love that line I'd love to think that I could do it all by myself and this sort of perception perhaps of working with a tutor almost as this little weakness a sort of this I can't do it by myself um what would your tips be for somebody who is perhaps at the you know, at the end of the B levels and feels that call to push further with advancing themselves. Um, What would your tips be in terms of working with a tutor? Because I think we've covered textbooks, exams, trips and specific practical tips already.
2: I I think you definitely need to have a tutor. Uh, I mean, no great sportsman or business leader operates at an advanced level without a coach or a mentor. Uh, Don't think that, you know, you're too big for this. Of course you're not. And there's no way that you yourself can, uh, you know, provide an objective yardstick. I think at this level, it also makes sense to work with a native speaker. Uh, there's a good argument that it's much less important lower down, even that there's an advantage to being taught by somebody who uh, has your own native language and knows the difficulties that you face as an English speaker trying to learn German or somebody who's a German who has learnt English at least teaching you. Uh, but at this level, I think you are you do want to be working with uh, with a native speaker because it's the finer differences you're dealing with. And uh, you you also want somebody who's going to take you through your paces, as you were saying, Kirsten, forcing you to speak about things you wouldn't normally perhaps talk about. Somebody who knows the exam, if you're using exams, or is ready to work with you uh, um, towards the exam. Don't assume that they will know all about the exam. It's your responsibility to find out about that or the specialist area that you need. But as long as you are really, you know, um, you know, indicating to your tutor proactively what you want and working with them, I think can be can be a great relationship at this level. And as you said, Kirsten, you know, um, uh, the, the number of language speakers who keep going, to, learners who keep going to this level is much less. So often your tutors can be quite pleased to have a few advanced students on their books. It makes for a, a different challenge for them.
1: Mm, Definitely, definitely. It's interesting as well, because you, as the tutor, um, you do find that at any level, um, there's a tendency of learners to come to you and sort of say, okay, so I'm working with you now. Uh, What is it that you want me to do? And sometimes it can be very difficult to really put your finger on what it is that you want them specifically to do. And it's, it's a responsibility that you can't entirely give to your tutor, because it's it's you inside who knows exactly what you need to improve um f- so from that point of view i i would also advocate to anyone and i always say this about working with tutors is stick with them for sort of four or five sessions you know give yourself a little bit of time to settle in because that person doesn't know really anything about you at a point where you start linguistically at least you know they could be you know they might know who you are um with some bloggers you know even if you're a tutor and this sort of benny lewis comes to you, you sort of go i know this person but you don't you know nothing about them you know nothing about their language skill um and that goes both ways so i really i really like what you're saying there gareth because that's that's something i advocate so much which is you want to team build you know you want to kind of with each other settle in and really become a team
2: I'd work with more than one tutor. I've had two, I have two tutors. I use the iTalki website. I've had two tutors for German and two for Russian as well. And towards the end with my Russian practice, I also had face-to-face tuition here in London, uh, which is a different experience again, and it, and is very useful.
1: Mm-hmm excellent okay so we are coming to the end of our show i first of all really want to thank both of you for taking the time to talk to me i think you are both founts of knowledge in your own way tristan i never knew you had so many amazing analogies about language learning so thank you so much for, okay. for sharing these they're awesome
2: i think hugging a cactus has got to be the image
0: of the podcast <laughs> right. oh, and, yes. and i didn't want to convey that i don't think people shouldn't use tutors i i uh... Um, my, my, uh, uh, idea was more like, um, getting to the basics on your own, but yeah, definitely use tutors. My, my difference was, is I was in a native culture with, um, uh, native speakers. And even then I probably could have benefited from a tutor, although, uh, in some cases that wasn't possible, but yeah, I, I echo what Garrett says. Definitely, Mm -hmm. um, definitely find out someone who knows what they're doing to help you, especially at the advanced levels.
1: And that, I think, good final words there. Yes, I agree. Hugging a cactus. And I also love that you said, knowing a language is like knowing a person. And don't worry about getting fluent, just worry about getting better. So with those extreme words of wisdom, really, I think we've, we've put together an amazing episode. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to bringing this out. Episode 46 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. And next time, you guys, you listeners, uh, we're going to have Lindsay back on the show and it's going to be our feedback episode where we hear from you guys and answer your questions. So with that, thank you so much, Tristan. No
0: problem, it's a pleasure. Thank
1: you so much, Gareth.
0: Thank you. Bye All
1: right, see you guys. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate the podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. That's always very much appreciated. If you have any feedback or you've got any questions, you can email me, kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk. Or you can find me on Facebook, Fluent Language Tuition, or on Twitter, at Kirsten Hammers, that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N, H-A-M-M-E-S.